Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Now, for those of you that may not have been here over the last few weeks or are visiting today, we have been doing our fall sermon series, and this year we're focusing on Paul's letter to the Romans, specifically chapters 1 through 8. And that particular section of Scripture, not only in all of Paul's writings, but even in Paul's letter to the Romans, is known as the Gospel according to Paul, because it's one of the most comprehensive presentations of what the Gospel is about. And not only the Gospel, but it's also, in particular, focused for both Jews and Gentiles. If you had been here for the first sermon, you would have heard me talk about the situation in Rome when Paul wrote, because there was tension between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. And because of that tension, Paul felt the need to bring them back to center, to get them all focused on the gospel and to address some specific needs with both groups of people. So he writes at the beginning of Romans, Romans chapter 1, he talks about who God is and what God is like and that God is knowable by everyone. He says, if you look at nature, if you look at the beauty of nature, the power of nature, that you begin to get a sense of God's character, His person, His power. I mean, not in a positive way, but just to get a sense of it, look at the floods over the past week or two. God is so much greater than those floods, and yet those floods are incredibly powerful and awesome. They're so destructive. And we have no way of stopping what damage they've done. And yet, God is more powerful than the floods. And we sometimes lose sight of that. And so Paul's writing and says, get a sense of who God is. Get a sense that He created all that is. That He is all-powerful. So that you understand that you need to come to know the one who created you. The one who created everything. So that you can begin to get a sense of what he's calling you to. That you can begin to get a sense of your own condition before him. So he's laying the foundation in Romans chapter 1. And then towards the end of Romans chapter 1, he begins this segment of his discussion of the gospel of saying, but everyone fails. Everyone falls short of his holiness. Everyone falls short of his righteousness. No one really is able to live into his call. That even though you get a sense from creation what he's calling you to, that most of us fall short of what we were intended to be at creation. Then by the time you get to Romans chapter 2, Paul introduces this whole idea about how the Jews were given the law 
And the Gentiles, of which most of us, if not all of us are, from all the other nations besides Israel, are given consciences. And how the Jews were given the law to direct and guide them according to their faith. Their understanding of what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. These are meant to guide you. You've given the law. Not so that you can earn your way to heaven. But so that you understand, now that you've committed to being God's people, what a relationship with God looks like. And that you are incapable in and of yourself To follow this law. This is meant to guide you. This is meant to correct you. This is meant to show you when you fall short to come back to the Lord, repent, and be filled with His grace and Spirit to be able to live into it. He says, but you Gentiles, even though you weren't given the law, you were given consciences. You know how we all have those little voices in our head? The two vying, you know, do this, don't do that, right? We're saying the good side is the conscience. And we play games with that, but all Gentiles have been given a conscience. And we can ignore our conscience, or we can listen to our conscience. And eventually, if we ignore it enough, it can become seared. And so what Paul is saying, whether you're a Jew or Gentile, whether you've been given the law, or whether you've been given a conscience, you have a sense of who God is and what God's calling you to. By the time he arrives in Romans chapter 3, he has built his case to the point of saying, and neither one of you have it right. Neither one of you are able to live perfectly. Neither one of you, Jew or Gentile, do you really live into being righteous. And he hits the peak of that when he comes to verses 20 and 23, and 23 in particular in chapter 3 when he says, none are righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. That's the human condition. That's where we all are. We are in a level playing field when it comes to being righteous before the Lord. Then his discussion starts to shift. He starts talking about, at the end of Romans chapter 3, righteousness by faith. That we are not righteous because we're able to earn our way to heaven. But rather we need a Savior. And instead of going right to Jesus, what he does is he takes an example out of the history of Israel that would work for both the Jews and the Gentiles. He chooses Abraham. Why would he choose Abraham? Well, before we talk about that, I don't know how many of you remember, this is several years ago, on television, there was a mini-series that was based on a book. And there was a lot of buzz around the church during that time, and then the buzz went away. But people talked about what was being said on TV and, Greg, what do you think of this? And I would respond to it. But the title of the the book was Abraham, a Father of Three Religions. I don't know if any of you remember that. But it was very, very fascinating because my first reaction was not positive. Because he's not the father of three religions. Even though there's some truth woven into the book slash the miniseries, it's misleading. Even though he's the father of the Jewish people, sometimes people even misunderstand what that means. He's the father of many nations. People don't fully comprehend what that means. 
He's called the father of faith in the New Testament. He's called the father of the people of Israel and the Jewish faith in the Old Testament. But he was never intended to be exclusive, but rather he was blessed so that he would be a blessing to the nations and he would be the father of many nations. And we need to understand what that means even as Christians so that we understand the point of Abraham. Because otherwise we misunderstand Abraham. And we can begin to see this even in the scriptures of the New Testament. Case in point. You have a lot of scripture before you this morning. The readings were long, so I didn't add one more reading to it. But it would have been important to add John chapter 4. Because in John chapter 4, Jesus is dialoguing with the Samaritan woman. And when he's dialoguing with the Samaritan woman, he says to her, You Samaritans worship what you do not know. Let me tell you why that's significant for us. Because the Samaritans, they were people that were of a combined religion between Judaism and paganism. It was a made-up religion. It's what we call today revisionism. Someone goes back and they either rewrite history or they rewrite faith. And that's what the Samaritans did. They went back and they rewrote history. And they rewrote what the faith was about. And so that's why even in derogatory ways, the Jews would criticize Jesus and say he's a Samaritan. Because it's a put down. Fast forward. When people say that Abraham is the father of three religions, one of the religions that they point to is the Islam faith, the Muslims. And they do the same thing the Samaritans did. Because when Muhammad wrote, he rewrote history. It's revisionism. What Muhammad did was took history that was actually 2,000 years before him and he rewrote it. That instead of the promise coming through Isaac and through Jesus, the promise came through Ishmael and then Muhammad, the final prophet. And so Islam is like, if you will, the Samaritan faith. It's a rewriting, it's a revision of history. And therefore, the God that comes out of it and the lifestyle and belief that comes out of it is not based on God's truth. It's not based on truth in history. And so instead of it being a continuation of Abraham and the Jewish faith, it's misleading. It's false. Let's talk about Judaism for a second. Because Judaism... When God first called Abraham, Judaism was based on a response of faith. It was not based on law, because the law would not be given for hundreds of years later. It was based on a response of faith, and it was not based on circumcision even, because when Abraham was called, he was not circumcised. It was based on the fact that God chose to reveal himself to Abraham. Abraham chose to respond to God's call and followed him where God called him to go. It was a response of faith that later, the sign of faith 
the sign of the covenant would be circumcision. And by the way, I said this last week, but I recognize a lot of you weren't here last week. You know, I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Circumcision is not a visible sign. Do you realize that? In other words, if someone's going to be perceived of being Jewish by faith, you're not going to know it. Because that covenant sign was meant for the person. What's meant to distinguish the Jewish, Jewish people is their holiness. That their life is different. That they are called out from the world to be different. And circumcision was a hidden sign for them to know that they are part of God's covenant. But what they present to the world is this holiness of life. That they're following into God's call. See, there's a contiguous thread that runs from the Old Testament through the New Testament. Which is why both Jewish people and Christian people will call Abraham the father of faith. And that is to say that faith is based on grace. It's based on God's call and our response to that call. It is not based on an outward side of circumcision. It is not based on following the law per se. Because everyone fails according to the law. It's based on God's grace. And if we don't understand faith on God's grace, we misunderstand the scriptures totally. That when Abraham was called, he was not circumcised. When Abraham was called, the law had not been given yet. Even when the Passover took place, when the people were rescued from Egypt, the law had not been given yet. It's the same. First, we're called into this relationship. We respond to that call, and then God gives us the covenant. That's what faith is about. And it's done by grace, not because we earn it, not because we do it. And so Abraham is meant to be the father of many nations because the, the Jewish people were meant to share that good news with other people. Instead, they turned in on themselves and said, we're chosen, we're special. And then, after the law was given, instead of saying, this is how we're called to live, they became legalists and say, this is how we are on our way to heaven. So they misunderstand faith as a people. And it becomes corrupt. And God becomes one that you earn your way to heaven, whether you go the Jewish way or whether you go the Muslim way. In both cases, the faith was hijacked. And so this thread of Abraham responding to God's call, a call that was given by grace, is meant to be how we are to be that is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah. That we are called like Abraham, like the people of Israel initially, called by grace, called into this faith relationship. And then we're told that Abraham believed and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. That our righteousness is a gift from God. That when we seek to live a righteous life, it's because we've sought to walk in a relationship with Him. Not because we've earned it, but because we have recognized God's grace and we seek to live into it. 
That's the build-up to chapter 4. So Paul then states, in the first nine verses, Abraham believed, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. He was justified. In other words, he was not justified by his own works. He was not declared righteous by his own works. He believed. He trusted the Lord. He responded to God's call because God had poured His grace out on him. Because God had revealed Himself to him. And it was reckoned to him as righteousness. That's why he's declared righteous. And we always want to do it another way. Abraham was called out from his people. From whatever they believed. From the pagan gods. He was called out. And he followed the Lord's call. Do you know what the word called out is in the New Testament? It's ecclesia. It's where we get the term ecclesiastical. What does it mean? Things to do with the church. What does it mean? The called out ones today are the church. That we are meant to be called out from the world. That we're meant to be called out from our sin. That God is, if you will, calling us out. So that when we come to Him by faith, our lives are different. We're now seeking to live a holy life. And the word holy means separated ones. Isn't that interesting? The word church means called out ones. The word holy means separated ones. If you begin to get the drift, it means that when you walk by faith, you're not looking around to how the world lives. You're not looking around to the way other religions are. You're not trying to earn your way to heaven. You're walking by faith that comes by a gift of grace. That's what God wants for us. When you really understand what Christ was about, we are the called out ones. And it came before circumcision. You need to understand that too. It came before God established a sign for His covenant. A sign that was hidden. It came before God gave the law and described what it means to walk with Him, to love Him and to love others. So when Abraham was called, he responds simply by saying, Yes, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to respond to your revelation. I want to walk with you because I recognize that I fail, that I fall short. That when Moses responded to God's call, and brought the people out of Egypt, the law had not been given yet. He was not earning his way to heaven. He was not seeking to create some idea of God that would work for him. He was responding to the God who called him. He was seeking who he was as God revealed himself. And revealed himself more as he gave him the law. And said, this is what it looks like to love me and to love other people. And this is to guide you. And yes, you're going to fall short. But I'll help you. I'll help you to grow. I'll help you to live more and more into righteousness by my spirit. Just walk with me and live into my grace, my gift. That's what he said to Abraham. That's what he said to Moses. Not because these guys were perfect. It means a changed life, though. And one that is oriented towards him, that's what the word repent means. Righteousness comes by faith. Righteousness comes by faith. You know, we've talked about two heroes thus far, Abraham and Moses. I want to talk about one more, David. 
The Messiah is called the son of David. David was considered possibly the greatest king of Israel. He was certainly one of the most powerful kings, a powerful warrior. And yet David, who was a hero of the faith, who was of the line of the Messiah, and that the people of Israel are called sons of David, daughters of David, and Jerusalem is known as the city of David, and Bethlehem is known as the city of David, one that he was born in, one that he established as the center. And yet David failed. David was a murderer. David was a liar. David was an adulterer. David was a terrible father. But he was willing to repent. He was willing to say, Lord, I've blown it. I've failed. And I need you. One of the most powerful passages of repentance comes in Psalm 51. We read it every Ash Wednesday. Let me read to you parts of Psalm 51. Have mercy on on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Did you see what David relies on? He relies on God's mercy. He relies on God's love, his steadfast love. Because David understands. He's not earning his way to heaven. He's not perfect in his life. He needs God's grace and God's forgiveness. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. You desire truth in the inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear of joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And put a new and right spirit within me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation. And sustain me in a willing spirit. See, we need to understand what God's grace is really all about. That none of the people, none of the heroes of the Jewish faith that we talked about were perfect. Abraham was a liar. Moses was a killer. Had a problem with anger. And David was a mess. But they all confessed their sin. They all repented. They all sought God with the whole of their being. They sought to live by faith. They understood and discovered God's grace because they failed. And were willing to admit that they'd failed. They didn't try create, to create a God of their own creation that would accommodate them that would define and describe faith as they wanted it to be, like we see so many people do today. They didn't live in a legalistic system that said, I'm earning my way to heaven. And oh, by the way, the laws always reflect what I want them to. Isn't that convenient? That's not what these men did. 
These men discovered God's grace amidst their brokenness. See, God offers us a gift. The gift comes by grace. The gift is offered in love. The gift is received by faith. And when we receive the gift, it transforms our heart and our lives as we allow God's Spirit to penetrate us. It's God's redemption. It's God's forgiveness. That's what we're seeking. And then we seek to walk with Him every day of our life by grace. That we seek His righteousness because the blood of Christ has washed us. We were crimson and now we're white as snow. You know, in a little bit we're going to be doing a baptism, by the way. The symbol of baptism is a symbol of being washed and cleansed and righteous before Christ. That's what this white gown is about. You'll see this. Certainly not malnourished kid, George. (laughs) Who has this white gown on. That he is being declared righteous by faith. The faith of his parents that we pray he will live into. And it's the righteousness of Christ that's symbolized by the white gown. That's a gift. That's a gift. You know, it's fascinating to me. I don't know how many of you have ever been acquainted with the 18 benedictions of Judaism. They're actually wonderful in many ways. They are blessings or prayers that are meant to be said every day by Jews. And there's probably meaning in here that many of them miss. For example, one of the prayers they pray is for the Messiah. And when you read the prayer, it sounds an awful lot like Jesus. It's amazing. But let me tell you what some of these benedictions are about the God of history. That's the first one. That we recognize God is the one who is the author of history and is in history. That's just like Romans 1. The God of nature. Also part of Romans chapter 1. The God who sanctifies. That's what the rest of the gospel is about. A prayer for understanding. A prayer for repentance. A prayer for forgiveness. Prayer for deliverance from affliction. Prayer for healing. Prayer for deliverance from one. Don't they sound good? I mean, we could pray these every day, these 18 benedictions or prayers. But let me read to you the second benediction that Jewish people, if they're living into their faith, pray every day. O King, Helper, Savior, and Shield, blessed art thou, O Lord, the Shield of Abraham. What is the shield? The shield is faith. In other words, the faith of Abraham. You, O Lord, are mighty forever. You revive the dead. You are mighty to say, you revive the dead. Paul tells us in Romans 4, Abraham was as good as dead. He was almost a hundred years old when he had Isaac, the fulfillment of the promise. That God can bring life from death. When Jesus went to the cross, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might know the righteousness of God. He died. He was in the tomb and then rose again. That God brings life from death. Many Jews today don't believe in an afterlife. 
And yet what we see promised in the Old Testament, fulfilled by Jesus in the New Testament, is that God brings from what is dead to life. That we who are spiritually dead, he brings to life. That God's design is that we would never die, but be with him forever. Through Jesus Christ. And this comes as a gift by grace. You're not going to earn it. You come to know the God who was and is the God of Abraham. And the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and the God of Moses, and the God of David, and the God who is Jesus Christ. Before Abraham was, I am. I am. That's why Jesus would say to the Jews, you've missed it. When you make this legalism, you've missed this. When you create God of your own creation, you've missed this. In the Gospel according to John chapter 8, what does he call them? Sons of the devil. These were the religious leaders of his day. And the reason is, is because they missed what God was about. And if they really understood who God is, then they would understand what the faith of Abraham was. They would understand what Jesus was saying. They would recognize Jesus as God and they would believe in him. And that's the invitation for you today. Because so many people misunderstand what faith is about, what God is about. This thread that began with Abraham. That he believed. He believed. He was offered this gift of grace. And he followed God out when God said, follow my call. Respond to my call. Come away from the world. Come away from your sin. And it was reckoned to him as righteous. That Jesus died on a cross for you, in your place, for your sins, so that you could be called out from your sin and from the world. And it is a gift. His life for you is a gift. That we are called to walk by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. You know, yesterday Martha Horn was ordained. I know many of you were here. It was such a blessed time. And Martha and her husband, by the way, are both dealing with cancer right now. Well, Martha was exhausted. And she was down in the parish hall, and I said, Martha, you need to go home. And she said, yeah, I'm exhausted, and she's not here today. And by the way, she's taking off this week. So you who were planning on Bible study tomorrow, we'll talk about that during the announcements. Anyway, she's just exhausted. So I said, take the week off. And come back next week. So I had given her a gift. And she called me up after she left here. And she said, Greg? I said, yeah. She said, I forgot the gift. She said, could you hold on to it for me? I said, sure, Martha. I'll give it to you when you come in. God has offered you a gift. The gift that I gave to Martha is not doing her a whole lot of good right now. Because she doesn't have it. Because she didn't take it and open it. See, we're offered a gift. It's a gift that comes by grace through faith. It's a gift that we can't set on a shelf or forget about or leave behind. It's a gift that we're meant to open and use 
and walk by faith. God is offering you a gift. And the question is, have you accepted it? Have you opened it? And are you walking by faith? Because it's a life that he's calling us to. A life that longs to worship. A life that's invested in prayer. A life that comes to know him more and more through his word. That's walking by faith. That's being his called out ones. And it's a gift. Have you opened the gift? Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, so many people in the world and even in the church have a false concept of who you are and what you desire for our lives. So many people are trying to earn their way to heaven by being good. And they end up being righteous in their own eyes. By saying they believe in God, but believing in the God of their own creation. Lord, Abraham heard your voice and responded to your call and believed. And you reckoned it to him as righteousness. And Lord, because of Jesus, we know even more today about your nature, about your grace, about your sacrifice, about the depth of your love. And through Jesus, you offer us this same gift to walk by faith. Your grace, your love. Lord, I pray for those here that have never taken that opportunity, accepted that gift, that they might come to know you as Savior and Lord. For those here who have misunderstood or have been misled in their faith, that would come to a true understanding that the righteous shall live by faith and that faith comes by grace, your grace, your gift through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to be your people who walk by faith. And I pray this in his precious name, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. As we prepare.